Let's turn to our passage now, Gospel Luke chapter 6. If you turn there, please, with me, friends, Luke chapter 6. It was Richard Henry Lee who rose to his feet on June 7th, 1776. And he shared a resolution with the delegates of the 13 colonies gathered in Philadelphia for the Continental Congress. And this was the resolution that was put before the delegates there assembled. Mr. Lee said, resolved that these colonies are and of a right ought to be free and independent states. That resolution was put before those delegates. And it was also determined at that time that in preparation for final vote on that resolution that there should be drafted a declaration of beliefs, a declaration of reasons for these colonies stating that they would be independent and united as states separate from the reign of the British crown. It was determined that a committee be appointed for the writing of such declaration. And the three key members of that committee were John Adams from Massachusetts, Benjamin Franklin, and Thomas Jefferson. Benjamin Franklin at that time living in Pennsylvania, of course, Thomas Jefferson from Virginia. And John Adams told Thomas Jefferson that he should be the one who would write the draft of the Declaration. Thomas Jefferson did not want to do it. He wanted to go home. And he told John Adams that he should write it. And John Adams said, no, you should write it. And evidently gave three reasons why he should write it. He said, first of all, Thomas, you are a Virginian, and a Virginian, being the largest of the colonies, most populous, must write this declaration. Secondly, you're a much better writer than I am. And thirdly, most of the delegates don't like me, and almost all of them like you. So... With that persuasion and seconded by Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson labored for days in the sweltering heat of Philadelphia to write his original copy of this Declaration of Independence. Now, after he had written his first draft, the committee took a look at it, Adams, Franklin, Jefferson... And after the preamble of this declaration, this statement had been written by Jefferson. We hold these truths sacred and undeniable that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights among what these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Franklin, who was on the committee, did not like the terms used by Jefferson. We hold these truths to be sacred and undeniable. He said they smacked of the pulpit and the sanctuary. And so there was discussion about what uh, phrase would be used and... It was Franklin who suggested, rather than sacred and undeniable, self-evident. Self-evident. We hold these truths to be self-evident. 
that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, inalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, I'll return to that at the end of the message, but what I want us to think about this morning is that phrase, self-evident truths. Self-evident. In mathematics, something that is self-evident is called an axiom. It is something so certain, something so true, it's indisputable. It is a self-evident truth. It's an axiom. Well, taking that as illustration, what Jesus is sharing here in Luke chapter 6... As he lays down and expresses the constitution of the kingdom. The constitution of the kingdom. He is sharing several self-evident truths. And all these truths have one quality that unites them. All the truths that he is sharing, they are united and that they are about love. These are self-evident truths of love. Because Jesus has made it very clear that those who follow him are entering into a kingdom that is ruled by him and ruled by the spirit of love that he will pour out in their hearts. Self-evident truths. Of love. So far, we've seen this is what love does. Love listens, love learns, love looks for others with whom to share the love of Christ, especially looking to enemies, as we saw last week. But this Morning, what I want you to notice, and it's so wonderful that it arrives for our consideration on this weekend as we celebrate our liberties here in the United States of America, is this truth, that it is self-evident that it is love that liberates. Love liberates. Without love, we are without freedom. A person who does not love is not a free person regardless of where they live. Love liberates. That's what Jesus wants and it's what he does through his salvation. He makes us free and he frees us by love. Love for him and love for others. Now, we're looking at this passage that's about love. And I want you to notice some things that love liberates us from. And I'll mention three of them this morning from the passage that we just read from Jesus' words. He says that love liberates us from three things. First of all, love liberates us from judging and condemning. Love liberates us from judging and condemning. Look at verse 37. Jesus said in that statement, judge not and you will not be judged. Judge not and you will not be judged. Now, without doubt, I want you to know, this is one of, if not the most, misquoted, misunderstood, and misapplied statements of Jesus Christ. It's one of the most misquoted, misunderstood, and misapplied statements of Jesus and of the whole Bible. As a matter of fact, people who could not find Genesis can quote this verse. (laughs) They can quote this statement of Jesus, and they can quote it in the King James. (laughs) Judge not, that you be not judged. Judge not. And what that actually usually works out to mean, judge not, especially don't judge me. 
That's the way it works itself out. And I want you to know, friends, that is certainly not what Jesus is saying. That's not his meaning. We know this. We know that he's not saying don't ever judge or judge a situation or judge a person. We know he doesn't mean that because in just a few minutes, down in verse 30, 43 and 45, you'll see that he tells us to judge. He, as a matter of fact, commands us to judge. Now, Pastor Joe is going to share on that passage next week. And you can then judge whether he did a good job or not. <laughs> Let me know. I'll be watching. Now, friends, the truth is this. Listen carefully. To measure anything is to judge. To measure something is to judge something. In fact, think of this. This is true. To not pass judgment on sin and condemn it is sinful itself. When, when we don't say what God says about things that are sinful, then that is participating and that is even enabling the sin. You see, think of it, friends. Justice is based on judging. Without judging between right and wrong, there's no basis for justice. We're left in a world where everyone lives their own truth. Everyone's their own king. We're back in the days of the book of Judges when there was no king in Israel and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And you read the book of Judges and find what a wonderful society that was. Now what we see is that Jesus is condemning judging. But notice what kind of judging is Jesus condemning. It's not just any kind. He is, he is condemning two kinds of wrong judging. He's condemning two kinds of wrong judging. The first we'll mention now. The second at the end of the message. But the first one is this. Jesus is saying... Don't judge hypercritically. Don't judge hypercritically. When Jesus says, judge not and you will not be judged, he's condemning a judgmental spirit. He's condemning judgmentalism. He is saying it's wrong to have a critical and a fault-finding spirit. That is what he is condemning. He's condemning being hypercritical, judgmental. A form of this would be to have not just a judgmental spirit, but a prejudicial spirit. Prejudicial. What is prejudice? Prejudice literally is to prejudge. That's where the word comes from. It means you pass judgment on something or you pass judgment on someone when you know nothing about them. You don't really know the issue. You speak on something that you don't really know about. Or you make quick decisions about a person on something very limited to your knowledge. That is prejudice. That is to prejudge. This is what Jesus is saying. Do not be predisposed to condemn people. Now, my friends, we must be aware of this sin. I'll tell you why. Because this sin is more at home in the church than anywhere else. What Jesus is condemning here, he's condemning Speaking to the people who will become his followers. He's speaking about the people who have led the people of God before he arrived on scene. Meaning the leaders in Jerusalem, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. You see, my friends, listen carefully. To hold right theology without a heart of love 
is to be like the devil. The devil knows God. The devil knows more theology than you will ever learn in your entire life, regardless of how many PhDs you earn from the greatest seminary. Satan knows more theology than you do. He knows more theology than I do. But Satan has no heart of love and compassion toward God or people. And that very thing can happen to folks in churches. They gather. They learn more and more and more theology. But their heart is not warmed with new affections for God and new affections for their fellow man. And they're going to church, but they're becoming more like the devil. That's what Jesus is condemning. Satan is the most judgmental and condemning of all creatures. It is his forte. That's the reason he's called the slanderer. Thank God the love of Jesus liberates us from that. Because you know what? We sure know we've got that in us, right? But thank God Jesus liberates us. He liberates us from judging and condemning. And he gives us freedom by liberating us from unforgiveness and unfulfillment. That's the second thing that love liberates. Love liberates us from judging and condemning, brings us into freedom so that we are liberated from unforgiveness and unfulfillment. And those two go together. That's what Jesus is going to say here. You see, friends, there is one common experience that all Christians have. We've had many different experiences. We've come from many different places of life. But there's one experience we've all had in common. You know what that is? Forgiven. We are forgiven. Christians are a forgiven people. God, for Christ's sake, answered Jesus' prayer on that cross. Father, what? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How loving and merciful our Lord has been to each of us. If you are a Christian, Christian, applied to you has been the answer of Jesus' prayer from the cross. You have been forgiven by the Father. Even though he knew us. You know, it would be one thing for God to forgive us if he didn't know us. But he knows us. And he still forgives us. Jesus knows us. And he still forgives us. I love the words of that beautiful song we popular a couple of de decades ago. He knew me, yet he loved me. He whose glory makes the heaven shine. Unworthy of such mercy, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Mercy. The depths of the love and mercy of Jesus. Oh, friends, his love changes us. How does his love change us? Well, his love changes us and produces a merciful spirit. A merciful spirit. Look at verse 37 again. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Now let's be careful here. Jesus is not teaching a merit system here. He is, he's not saying if you, you don't judge, then you won't get judged on the merit that you didn't judge somebody. 
uh, you didn't can't condemn, so on the merit of that, you won't be condemned. And you forgave some people, so on the merit of that, you, you will be forgiven. Jesus is not teaching a merit system here. No, what Jesus is teaching is a mercy system. A mercy system. He is saying, you have received mercy. Now you should be merciful. You know what that is? That's a self-evident truth. Christians have received mercy. Would you say amen if you believe that? So what should we share with others if we have received mercy? Mercy. See, there's a principle. Forgiveness should flow from the forgiven. If forgiveness is going to be found any place on this earth, it should be found in the hearts of people who have been forgiven. And it flows from the hearts of a forgiven people. Why are there many, why are there many people who go to church and yet they're not forgiving people? Why are there so many who go to church and yet once you get to know them, they are not forgiving people? Well, the answer may be that they are church-going, unforgiven people. You see, forgiven and church-going is not the same. I heard a preacher many years ago said, you can put a beat-up Buick into a garage, take it out the back door, and it won't become a Cadillac. Nothing happens just because we gather at this place on Sundays. There's nothing that happens just because we come here and we assemble. Nothing happens. There are no spots on the face of the earth that have a sacred power to them. The power is in the presence of the Lord God of heaven and earth and the merciful Jesus and the spirit of forgiveness. And when we gather before him as those kinds of people, we gather in his presence, what happens? You're changed. I'll tell you one thing. No one can worship God and not get off their knees or go out the door unchanged. You can come to church and not be changed. But you can't worship Almighty God and not be changed. It's a self-evident truth. People who have known God's forgiveness should be forgiving. People who have known God's grace will be gracious. This is a self-evident truth. If you have experienced the grace of God, you will be a gracious person. You may drift from that, you may not be all that, but it is an impossibility for someone to have been graced with the salvation of Christ. And the gracious God Almighty lives within them and for them not to be a gracious person. I tell you, my friend, people who are not gracious should be very concerned about their soul. Forgiven people are forgiving people. And they are giving people. (laughs) And because there are giving people out of these principles, here's the promise. Does all this mean nothing? You don't judge, you don't condemn, you you try to forgive. And you know, when you get to heaven, the Lord will give you something for it. Oh my word, no. Absolutely not. The Lord is not calling us to grit our teeth until we get to heaven. Come on. Love, and its first gift is to yourself. What happens? 
It produces a magnanimous spirit in your heart. It changes you. Look at verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you again. He's talking here not about financial giving. Please, that's not the main context. It's the spirit. It is a magnanimous spirit. Magnanimous. Magnanimous comes from two words in Latin. Magnus, great. Anime, spirit or heart. So a person who is a magnanimous person is a person who has a great heart. They have a great spirit. And because they are filled in their great heart with love and kindness from God, they share that with others. And guess what? They live a fulfilled life. They live a fulfilled life. And that's what Jesus is promising here. He's promising to his people that you don't have to live an unfulfilled life. He says, I guarantee you, you will live a fulfilled life when you live in love. He says it'll be like this. He uses two pictures. It, they don't translate to us very well today in our culture, but they were perfectly understood by Jesus' audience that day. He says, it's going to be like this. Verse 38. It's going to be... Like you receiving, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Now, what, what's that an image? Well, when people went to the market to buy grain, the man who was selling the grain to show them that he was giving them a full measure would pour in the grain about two-thirds of the way up. Then he would... Stir it with a stick. Then he would pour in some more and he would pat it down. And then he would pour in some more and he would pat it down. And then he'd pour in some more and he would take maybe a piece of weight and he would press it and press it and press it until no more could get in there. And that part they just scoop off. What was being shown? You are receiving a full measure. Jesus says, if you are a forgiving person, if you are a person who forgives in love, you are going to experience people pouring into your life. You're going to experience people pouring kindness back into your life. It's going to be like it's pressed down, shaken together, running over. You find that Kindness is not something you can give away. Why? Because people keep giving it back. It's like the good side of the cat you can't get rid of. All right? and I'm sorry for the cat people here, okay? But it makes sense to me. <laughs> Keeps coming back. Kindness is like that. It keeps coming back to you. And then Jesus uses another expression. He says, they will put into your lap. And the word lap here is literally fold. Fold. They will put back into your fold. What's that talking about? Well, men and women in that day wore robes. And around the outer robe, they would wear a a thick belt for the men or a thick piece of heavier fabric for the women. They would pull up the top part above the belt. It would fold over. And then they could fold it again. And you know what happened? They had a nice little traveling pouch right there. They would put things in the fold. And they might travel with some things in their pocket, maybe a little bit of money. And Here's what Jesus is saying. If you are kind and loving to people, it's going to be like people keep putting into your wallet. You keep giving out, they keep giving in. You give out and they put it back in. He says, that's going to be the life you'll know. Friend, that's a fulfilled life. You need to get out of your mind this idea. If I 
am a loving person toward my fellow man, I'm going to be a miserable person. No, I tell you who is a miserable person. A miserable person is a miserly person. Same root word. Who's a miser? A person who doesn't give. And a person who is a miser will become miserable. But a person who is generous in their actions, attitudes, words, they will be fulfilled, pressed down, shaken together, running over. People will put it right back into your pouch. Love produces a magnanimous spirit. You could say Jesus is promising what goes around, what? Comes around. So... What do you want coming around? What you send around will come around. You receive back what you give. I heard this story once of a farmer. A couple hundred years ago. had a homestead just outside of a town. And his fields came right up to a wagon road. And regularly wagons of People headed west would come down that road. One day he was resting there on a fence post. Wagon came up. Man, his wife, a bunch of kids. The man said, Mister, what kind of town is that up ahead? What kind of people live up there? And the farmer said, Well, what kind of people lived where you left? And the man said, Oh, they were the most unfriendly, mean spirited, mean-hearted people you ever met. And the farmer said, well, friend, I think you'll find the same kind of people live in that town. Next day, farmer, been working, took another rest. Another wagon comes over with a man, his wife, several children. Man from the wagon said, hey, friend, what kind of people live in that town up there? The farmer said, well... What kind of people lived where you came from? He said, oh, we hated to leave. They were the sweetest. They were the kindest. They were the most charitable people you've ever met. And the farmer said, friend, that's just the kind of people you'll find in town. You see, here's a lesson. Don't ever forget it. Wherever you go, there you are. Wherever you go, there you are. My friends, Jesus is describing the reward. This is the reward that goes with verse 31. What did verse 31, what did Jesus say? As you would wish that others would do to you, do so to them. What is that? That's the golden rule. Well, here's the golden reward to the golden rule. You live by the golden rule, and yes, you'll be rewarded in heaven, but you live by the golden rule, you'll be rewarded by it down here. People, many people, will treat you with that same golden quality of kindness. Golden rule produces a golden reward, and I'm not talking about financial gold. The true treasures that you can take with you forever. Love liberates from judging and condemning. Love liberates from unforgiveness and unfulfillment. And then let me give you this last one, if I might. Love liberates us. Jesus said this. Love liberates. This is the weekend of liberty, right? Love liberates us from misleading and misfocus. Love leads liberates us from misleading and misfocus. Now, Jesus was the master of stories and word pictures. And to convey his message, he especially liked to use parables. As a matter of fact, there are 13 parables recorded in Luke. This is the second one. What is a parable? A parable has been called an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's parable defined that way sometimes, but maybe a little better defined this way. A parable is an earthly story or example, example with a spiritual meaning. 
It's an earthly story or example we're all familiar with, and it conveys a spiritual meaning. Now, here in verse 39, Jesus shares a parable. He shares a parable about loveless, judgmental leaders. Verse 39, he also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Now, main point here is this. Here's the main point of Jesus' parable. Unless we are guided by love, we will live in the dark and live in danger. Unless we are guided by love, we will live in the dark and in danger. Now, as Jesus explains and enlarges this parable, he gives five lessons. Very quickly, let me share them with you. Five lessons that without love, guiding us, we just miss. We just miss everything. What happens when we're not guided by love? Number one, we mislead people. We mislead people. Verse 39, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into the pit? Into the ditch, rather. Now, Jesus here is making a very thinly veiled reference to the Pharisees who are listening. Because the Pharisees called themselves the guides to the blind. That's what they called themselves. And he's talking about the blind who lead the blind. Blind leaders produce blind followers. Wrong path brings danger and destruction. Blind leaders exert a terrible influence in any sphere of life, especially spiritual. Spiritual leaders have to be so careful because if they do not know the light and know the truth, they'll lead, they are in the darkness and they'll lead other people in the darkness and the ditch will be the bottomless pit of hell. When blind spiritual leaders lead blind people, they are both headed to the ditch of eternity without God. Apart from love, we, listen, we will mislead people. If we don't love people, we're not going to lead them the right way. Without love, we are misled. We are misled. Look again at verse 39. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into the ditch? You, what's Jesus saying? You've got to be very careful who your guide is. Uh, today, let's make it a little more current. You better be careful who your influencer is. You know, influencer? Influencer means that <laughs> you've got an iPhone page on YouTube or one of the other platforms and you are an influencer. In this age of technology, anybody who has a ca camera, a microphone, an angle or an attitude can be an influencer. How do you discern blind guides? How do you discern blind guides? You have people that you listen to. You got people you watch. You got people you listen to their station, their radio program, their podcast. How do you know they're not blind guides? One way. I won't ask you to turn there, but it's 800 years before Jesus, this is what God said through Isaiah about blind guides. Listen carefully. Isaiah 8, verse 19. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? They were actually going to people who were in the occult to ask for guidance. And God says, 
Should they not inquire of God? Do you inquire of dead people for the living? And then listen to this. Here it is, friends. Listen. For your life. For your spiritual health. You listen to this. Isaiah 8.20. To the teaching and to the testimony. That means the word of God. To the teaching and the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. That means there's no light in them. To the law and to the testimony. How do you know if someone is a guide that you should follow, they are going to be guiding you with the revealed truth of God. They're not going to say, well, it seems to me, or I was thinking, or it's going to be God's truth, God's word. Without that, there is no light in them. They have no dawn because they don't know the bright morning star. There have never been so vo many voices. Now hang on just a minute. Let me say this just for a moment. I am going to finish, but I'm going on a couple weeks vacation. So just hang on. All right. All right. I got, give me five minutes for two weeks, okay? There have never been so many voices and so little light. Who influences you? You better be very careful before you hit that send button. Before you forward that information. Before you heard someone say what agreed with your position. And made you feel good. And you send that on. You better be very careful about that. Do these people know God? Do they speak for God? Do they speak his truth? I am dumbfounded by people who are being influenced. As Christians, influenced by people who don't know What every three-year-old in this church knows, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? The blind lead the blind. It's going to fall in a ditch. Why is it so important? Why is it so important? Who you listen to. Because you become like the person who teaches you. Look at verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. See that's a self-evident truth. A student becomes like a teacher, their teacher. See, teacher-student relationship, if you're learning from people, listen. If you're taking information from people, listen carefully. That's more than just about information. It's about transformation. You better find out what's the worldview from that person. Or you fi will find yourself being conformed to the world rather than being transformed by the renewing of your mind. There are all kinds of people out there, listen carefully, of every political position that love every day to press people into their mold. I was old. Was it Ravi Zacharias that said it? God bless him who's gone on to be with the Lord. Let my people what? Think. Think. Think God's thoughts after him. Search the scripture whether these things are so. Take your favorite talk radio host and see if he or she is agreeing with the Bible. 
Make sure that post that you're forwarding agrees with the word of God. Don't be complicit in darkness. This is no joking matter. We become like the people who inform us. We are misled. We're misformed. And we become misfocused. Verse 41. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But you do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Now that's funny. I don't care who you are. That's funny. The speck is the smallest piece of wood people would have known then. A log would have been the center beam in their house. And Jesus says, why are you so concerned about the speck of dust that's in your friend's eye? You're not even looking at the post you've got in your own. You see, we can become so miserably misfocused. The key word, what's Jesus' key word there? See. You see the speck. Why? Because you were looking for it. That's the reason you saw it, Jesus is saying. Because you were looking for it. What, what happens when we have a judgmental spirit? I'll tell you what happens when we have a judgmental spirit. We see other people's shortcomings under the microscope and we see our own under the telescope. That's what happens. We want to use an electron microscope on other people. And we want to use a telescope that reaches to another galaxy on ours. Somewhere in a galaxy far, far away. We might be wrong. Okay. <laughs> we mislead. We are misled. We're misformed. We're misfocused. And then we misjudge people when we're not led by love. Apart from love, we misjudge people. Verse 42 how can you say, there's the condemning, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out that is in your own eye, when you yourself do not see the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck that out that is in your brother's eye. Now, Jesus says this kind of judging is hypocrisy. The wrong kind of judging, I said there's two kinds. The first kind is hypercritical judging. This is hypocritical judging. We put a judgment on others that we don't put on ourselves. It's hypocritical. Friends, self-evident truth. We need to press on and things that we know to be self-evident truths. Let me go back to 1776 and then I'll come here. And then we close. What did the Declaration of Independence say? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all Men are created equal. And they are endowed by their creator. Not by government. But by their creator. With certain inalienable rights. Among these. Right of life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Those are some of the greatest words that were ever written. Apart from the inspiration of Scripture, those are some of the greatest words ever written. But the 56 men that signed that document believed perhaps what was written. It was a self-evident truth, but for many of them it was not a self-evidenced truth. It said all men are created equal when 20% of the population in 1776 was held in slavery. 20% of the population. 
25 of the 56 signers of the declaration, 25 of the 56 were slave owners. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. It would be 91 more years before black men could vote. And it would be 144 years before black or white women could vote. Not until 1920. This is the 100th anniversary of women being able to vote in America. You see, that beautiful truth, hear what I'm saying. Beautiful, wonderful truth. This is self-evident. All men are created equal. But in our shortcomings as human beings and our sinfulness, we don't live up to these self-evident truths. And friends, listen, we have to pray that God Almighty will help us live up to these truths. Could not every one of us here as a Christian sign our name to what Jesus has said? Could you not sign your name to this? I hope you could sign your name to the Constitution of Christianity. But friends, listen. Self-evident truth needs to be in our lives every day. Self-evidenced truth. We got to live it out. We got to have sound judgment. And sound judgment says, don't judge hypercritically. Don't judge hypocritically. But do judge so you can do what? You can be helpful. You do see the speck. You've removed the log out of your eye. You've, you've looked at your own shortcomings so you can be a blessing and help to others. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying once you've dealt with the log, then you go deal with the speck. Self-evident truth. Love liberates. Would you stand and let me send you out with God's blessing. Almighty God, I bless these brothers and sisters. I pray that we'll ponder these truths as we go our ways just now. Lord, I thank you for their attention. <laughs> and I pray now, Lord, that love will reign in our hearts and love will guide our steps. Oh, Lord God, make us people who love. Liberate us from ourselves that we might bring liberty to others. In Jesus' name and all God's people said,